You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, Brandy Stark. Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandy Stark. As we start off 2014, and I really cannot believe it is already 2014, thought it might be nice time to get a few new Paranormal Pets episodes up. Things have been somewhat quiet on the supernatural front, but I do have a few new stories for you. So we will start with uh, a little bit on animal behavior and consciousness and move into a couple of little ghost stories and see where it takes us. We'll be right back after these messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Swipe It's a revolutionary new product that literally swipes away cat hair from virtually any surface. You know, most of us struggle with a roller or vacuum cleaner to clean up cat hair, but anyone who has tried either of these knows they just don't work very well. But Swipe It's patent pending glove has a magnetic-like quality that removes cat hair from almost everything. And best of all, Swipe It's is machine washable, so you can use it over and over again. To order, just visit SwipeIt's.com. That's S-W-I-P-E-T Yes, a simple solution for shedding. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandy Stark. Welcome back to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandy Stark, and I am very pleased to say that one event that has been happening at my own home includes a little bit of construction. Uh, I've remodeled the rat room so that it is more temperature controlled and quieter out there because in case you all do not realize, these pugs are everywhere and they can be very naughty when they want to be. So much to my amazement, the new construction has certainly added some benefit. The rats 
seem happier once they were finished being very upset with me for displacing them from their room for uh, several days. And uh, the room is actually quieter. The second thing that I will be doing this year is uh, replacing some windows. So that means that hopefully these recordings will get a little bit clearer and less noise in the background. However, the pugs are still here, so you will hear them as they aid me in creating these episodes. So one of the first things that I found this year comes from Parade Magazine. Now, part of the idea behind Paranormal Pets is determining the conscious behavior of animals. The idea with the paranormal is that you have something that is beyond the scope of the normal, but oftentimes an element of this includes the ability of conscious thought. For example, in order to have a ghost, you have to have awareness uh, because a ghost is essentially uh, displaced consciousness. So one of my theories has long been that, of course, animals are quite aware of themselves. And uh, particularly in today's world, as science finally catches up to religion and determines that, indeed, animals do have cognitive behaviors fairly similar to our own. The way they express them, however, may vary. So I think it's kind of interesting to find articles and to find these studies that are coming out more and more that determine the intelligence, actually, of animals. But I did find one fairly recently, again, through Parade Magazine, of all places, that talks about animal emotional response. So this you can actually find on parade.com backslash dogs. And uh, it starts off with myths, canine myths, and then we'll take a look at odd cat behaviors explained. Now, again, part of this is to also look at behaviors that are naturally explainable. It's not only uh, the idea that we're kind of at this odd place. We tend to anthropomorphize our animals. They are different than we are. And then we also tend to remove any ideas of intelligence from them. I mean, we're kind of a double-edged sword to our our four-legged friends here. So when I do find things that represent some of the anthropomorphic ideals, things that we put upon our animals, I think that's also important to note. If we're ever going to determine how truly paranormal our animals are, or at least the ability of our animals to determine the paranormal, then we need to know what behaviors are actually natural. And right now, I apologize, I have pugs kissing each other and kissing me. They're in a very good mood, apparently, and they only do this, of course, when I'm trying to record or on the phone. And again, from my point of view, this reminds me that pets are very much like children. If you're not paying attention to them, they're going to make sure you pay attention to them. All right. So getting back to this notion of parade magazines, can dogs feel guilt? 10 common myths about dog behavior. It starts off saying, doleful eyes, hunched bodies, drooping ears. Bido must be feeling sorry about something, right? Not exactly, according to Decoding Your Dog, a new book from the American College of Veterinarian Behaviorists. Doctors Deborah Howerwitz and John Sirabasi Experts in the field of veterinary behavior write about what this look really means and uncovers nine more common canine myths. Myth one, when my dog looks guilty, it's because he feels bad for doing something wrong. When your pooch puts on that doleful look, he must be guilty of something, right? 
Wrong. Your dog knows you are angry or upset and is using that body posture to try in dog language to get you to calm down and avoid punishment. Ironically, my pug Patroclus has that look almost perpetually, but he, he actually has a very cute face and these big, sad eyes, and it is very hard to stay angry with him. I agree. Myth two, my dog understands me when I talk to him. While dogs can understand about 500 words and a very talented border collie named Chaser can understand thousands, when we talk to our dogs, they focus in on a few words, our tone of voice, facial expressions, and our body language. And indeed, there are other studies that indicate dogs uh, respond to their human companions, perhaps like a pack animal. So I remember one that said when a human yawns, a dog is more likely to yawn. There is this connectedness of behaviors and identification uh, with face and body language that we actually, we interact. It's really pretty wild. Myth three, my new dog of the same breed will be just like my last one. Just like two children from the same family will be alike in some ways, they will be completely different in others. So while Johnny and Susie both have blue eyes, one might be easygoing while the other is very stubborn. Two dogs from the same breed can be very different too. And actually that is quite true. In my little pack here, uh, I have one pug named Chin who is not a political player, has never been a political player, stays kind of on his own. And then I have my younger pets who are definitely political players. And in fact, I'm dealing with the alpha beta syndrome right now, uh, where my younger male wants to be an alpha, but I have an alpha male. And it's very, very interesting to see even how these pets interact. There are little clicks, etc. And those that get along better stay together. So I think in that respect, they are very much like us. Myth four, my dog should tolerate anything my children do. Oh boy, right there. This reality is that young children often do not know how to interact with dogs in a caring, considerate manner. Allowing children to sit on dogs, pull on their body, hit on them with toys, disturb them while they eat may actually teach children the wrong lessons. Dogs are living, breathing, emotional beings that need to be treated kindly and with respect. And as a person who does rescue work, particularly pug rescue, I have always been amazed at the amount of people who give up their pets when they have a child. And they seem to assume that the pet's going to be too much work. And I keep thinking, yes, but I was raised with pugs and my mother managed to keep everything pretty well in hand. I'm not quite sure, you know, really, I probably considered the pugs more like siblings, but, you know, I was not allowed to, you know, tease or taunt them. And she did really work pretty hard to keep control of that situation in which behavior with the pets was endorsed in a positive manner. And in fact, I remember getting my very first pet at the age of eight, which was a guinea pig that I named Precious. Well, anyway, (laughs) we'll keep moving. Myth five, a fenced yard should be entertaining enough. Our canine's friends live in a very rich world of smells and visual input. The backyard is the same day in and day out. What dogs long for is the smell of new scents, the chance to check out that next bush or tree and see the world. And when out in the yard all alone, they can make bad decisions, becoming extremely territorial and threatening to others or even becoming destructive or attempting to escape. 
Myth six, all dogs who are afraid of people have been abused. While it is unfortunate that many dogs are abused, many dogs that show signs of fear or anxiety around people and places suffer from another problem, limited socialization. If a dog lives in a very restricted environment during their sensitive time of emotional growth from eight weeks to nine months, they may not have the tools to process, interact, and enjoy new experiences as they come along. And I think that's true. I know with pugs, it's better to have two anyway, maybe three, primarily because they are very social and they do need uh, the company. I mean, it, it also has helped them to become socialized. Fairly important thing. Miss seven, dog training works best if we rely on dominance and punishment. Just like people, dogs learn best by human treatment and showing them the right things to do. Dogs are at a disadvantage. They don't know the rules of living in a human world. They are not out to dominate or control us, but rather don't really know what is the right thing to do. It is up to us to teach them how to behave using positive training and kindness. And that fits along with just about everything else I've heard. Myth eight, dogs that destroy the house when home alone are being spiteful. Ah, I'm getting ready to deal with this. My semester of teaching actually begins tomorrow at the college. Oh, it's, it's open. We started kind of easing in this week, but next week. I have oftentimes found that the first week of the semester with these pugs, first and second weeks, they are just instruments of destruction. I'm getting ready for this, in fact. Dogs that go to the bathroom indoors, bark, and are destructive when home alone are most likely suffering from separation anxiety. They are unable to relax and be calm when separated from their human family. They need a behavior modification plan, treatment, and perhaps medication to learn how to be home alone. Now, in my case, I actually have a very wonderful job and uh, am able to some days get home at lunch or my mother comes in. I mean, they do get interaction. There are just days in which I think they're spoiled rotten because I've been home for a month. But we do try to kind of ease them into it uh, the week before getting them used to, you know, kind of a coming and going again as much as possible. Myth nine, dogs that growl and bite are mean. Dogs that growl are trying to tell people they are uncomfortable and afraid. What they really want is for the threatening thing to go away or to stop. By understanding and respecting the message, we can teach dogs the proper response to diminish the need for aggressive responses. Now, this gets to be somewhat interesting because we're going to take a look at some uh, ghost stories. And, of course, animals in particular, I think, are highly sensitive to ghosts. And one of their behaviors is to growl and snap at the air. It very well could mean that they want something to go away. I mean, it does make sense. At the same time, I've also heard the counter in which animals are very responsive. They lick and kiss the air. So how do you deal with that on a supernatural level? Is it simply the intrusion of a ghost that they do not know? And therefore, they are treating it like a stranger while they are friendly to a ghost of a person that they would know. Or are they afraid of something that is simply not in the norm, i.e. no longer embodied in the human form, and therefore they treat it as an alien? I mean, it's, it's very interesting because I have heard a mixture of stories. It seems that the stories I have heard, by and large, indicate animals who are afraid when a ghost of a stranger appears. In other words, they move into a house that is haunted, or they respond to the death of a relative that shows up to their owner. I mean, this is someone they might have met, but is not a familiar part of the household. 
So I think that's kind of an interesting thought. Whereas I have heard other stories of pets whose owners pass away and, you know, the house becomes haunted and, you know, the family that takes the pet sees the animal licking and kissing the air as if the owner is still there. So we'll we'll take a look at some of those stories. The last myth, dogs and wolves are the same. Good grief. I hope not. (laughs) I have pugs that I can tell you they are not wolf-like. While dogs and wolves share a common genetic connection, that is where it ends. Dogs have evolved over thousands of years to be partners with humans and interact with them naturally in ways that wolves do not even with extensive training. Two great examples, dogs can follow a human's pointing gesture and often ask people for help. Wolves do not without specific training. And I do think that's true. Again, part of that conscious awareness of a human as a pack animal. Again, I have read studies that indicate that dogs actually may have, or ancestors to dogs, I should say, may have actually helped to tame humans. And of course, I have presented through this show other indicators of animals and pack structure and the way that canines in particular maintain their pack as a reflection and a connection to humankind and how we maintain our own packs, i.e. mating for life, at least in theory, before, you know, 20th century, raising children together and barking. Isn't that lovely? And expressing communication. There <laughs> we go to get attention. That was Patroclus, my apologies. And look, he is giving me that doleful, sad look with the cute little tail wag. So in this, I would tend to agree. And in fact, I've oftentimes found it interesting that we really hear more about werewolves, humans becoming vicious and savage as lycanthropy rather than synanthropy, which again, I have presented uh, in a prior show, I think on the role of werewolves from ancient Greek plays to modern theater, i.e. film. But really, synanthropy is the evolution of a human into a dog. And while there are some reports of this, we don't seem to fear it as much as the transformation of a human into a wolf. Kind of an interesting thought. So when we see our monster movies, it's very specific that it's a werewolf. All right. So now that we've kind of gone through some of these myths and things that you might want to consider when dealing with your pet, particularly if you're trying to determine paranormal behavior, i.e. I've been reading a book on psychic pets and there are times in which I look at this and think, I'm not really sure that's an indicator that they have telepathically read my mind in as much as perhaps picked up on a subtle body clue or a facial expression. But again, something to consider as we deal with these pets. If you want to deal with them psychically as ghosts, interacting with ghosts, we have to know the basic ideology behind them before we can move forward. So we're going to pause at this point. We're going to have some commercial messages. And when we get back, we'll talk a few ghost stories. We'll be right back. Now time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. 
In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. Hi, my name is Brent Atwater, and I'm the Animal Reincarnation Authority. Join me every week on Alive Again and let me look at your pet's energy to determine if they're going to reincarnate. I'll be able to tell you when they're going to come back and what they look like. So send me your pet's photo and email me your question at brent at petliferadio.com. I'm looking forward to answering your questions on Alive Again. Every week only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandy Stark. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. We're going to take a look at a couple of ghost stories. I have been reading, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Your Psychic Pet, Developing Psychic Communication with Your Pet by Richard Webster. Over the break, I got this book at Haslam's, and here's how this worked out. Haslam's is a new and used bookstore that has been owned by a family for 80 years. I think it's up to its fourth generation of family ownership. And in a time in which bookstores have really taken major hits, they continue to to do pretty well. I mean, they're a well-known institution here. So over the break, my mother and I went to Haslam's because she looks for mystery novels and she's not super thrilled with a Kindle. So as we were walking through, she comes up to me towards the end and says, here, I found this. She hands me this book on your psychic pet. And she is so funny because she said, I wasn't sure if I should give it to you because I don't want to add to your delusional ideas. <laughs> I thought, well, okay, that's a very motherly thing to say. But, you know, I said, well, I'd like to read it anyway. So I did get it. This comes from 2003 and it is published by Castle Books. And it's actually, it's pretty interesting. It looks like it came out initially in 2002. The author, Richard Webster, did write a couple of other things, at least one other thing that is listed dealing with psychic pets, but he actually has a chapter on some ghost stories. And while I'm not going to read all of them, I'll just take a look at an excerpt just to kind of whet your appetite, and we'll take a look as we go through this. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting is he talks about how pets continue to communicate with us 
and particularly after death. So some of the stories include this, well, the first one's so sad I, I really don't want to read it, so we'll start with Garigio, a phantom dog who protected Don Bosco, a priest from Turin, Italy. And of course, the Shroud of Turin is a very famous item that comes from that area. Uh, he lived in the second half of the 19th century. Don Bosco had dedicated his life to creating good citizens out of the wild, uncontrollable urchins of Turin. His work created many enemies, some of whom were prepared to kill him to prevent him from carrying out his good deeds. Fortunately, Don Bosco had Garigio, and my Italian is horrible, I apologize, a huge wolf-like dog who appeared whenever necessary and attacked anyone who tried to harm the priest. On one occasion, he even turned on the priest to prevent Don Bosco from leaving his hotel. Shortly afterward, a friend came in to warn him of a threat on his life. Many people tried to explain the mystery of the phantom dog. One of the more likely explanations is that the dog was Don Bosco's angel guardian who took on the appearance of a dog whenever necessary, as this was the form most likely to be of help. Now, this is what I have kind of found throughout the book. He does a lot of excellent research, and he puts it together very, very well. And then on occasion, you kind of get these fairly liberal interpretations of data. I think it's interesting that he says one of the more likely explanations is that the dog is a manifestation of a guardian angel, which, of course, goes entirely to the spiritualist or psychic world. But nonetheless, I mean, this is a documentable story, and it is quite interesting that this priest had a dog that manifested. Dogs oftentimes, of course, are seen as protective entities, and we do see them showing up in several religions as guardians to people that are somehow liminal or transcendent. They're kind of of two worlds, so most unique. How about... I had a couple of stories that I wanted to take a look at. These are on cats, and that'll be the next episode. This one is kind of a sad story, but it does come from England, and I thought this was uh, most unique. The story is from Cornwall, and uh, it only covers uh, two pages, but I figured it might be something interesting to hear. Ghostly animals abound in the folklore of most countries. When I lived in Cornwall, I paid several visits to Doe's Mary Pool on Bodmin Moor. Back in the 17th century, there was an evil magistrate called Jan Tergagel who sold his soul to the devil. He is now spending all of eternity emptying Doe's Mary Pool with a perforated shell. Every so often, the devil comes to see how he's getting on. The devil is always accompanied by a pack of headless hounds who chase a terrified former magistrate across the moor. Well, I think I'd run from that, too. Cornwall is also the home of the Daisy Dog, a Pekingese who has terrified Cornish fishermen for centuries. I was told several versions of the story while living in Bodmin, Cornwall, which indicates it's most likely an urban legend. There is also an old legend of, that the Emperor of China sent a gift of two Pekingese dogs to Queen Elizabeth I as a token of mutual respect. Accompanying the valuable consignment was a royal princess, a Mandarin to assist her, considerable gold, and a number of slaves. However, the trip was arduous, and by the time they neared England, all that was left was the princess, the gold, one slave, and the two Pekingese, plus a litter of puppies they had produced. The final section of the voyage was held in a vessel crewed by Cornish fishermen. The weather became violent, and everybody thought the ship would sink. The fishermen began thinking the princess was an evil witch who would take them all to their deaths. And just to summarize, because this part's very sad, and I found it depressing... They threw the princess and everything she had, including the dogs, overboard. The princess washed ashore along with the dead corpse of the Pekingese female, the puppies, but somehow the male managed to stay alive and was found by a fisherman. Nobody would approach the 
group of dead things, except for this fisherman who, out of kindness, decided to bury her. And so he consulted a priest, and he was told indeed to go ahead and bury the princess and the dead Pekingese. And he buried them together, and he placed the last Pekingese, the male, the father who survived, on top of the grave. And the little male Pekingese kissed his hand and then died. I always find that to be very sad because, of course, Pekingese are sometimes called lion dogs. And the male, of course, is the worldly protector and really has a symbolic nature of protector of the family. And that he survived long enough to see his mistress, his mate, and their offspring buried. And then he passed away. is always just so tremendously sad. And then to have that lick of gratitude. And, of course, the legend that evolves from that is that the male Pekingese spirit remains in the area He is said to have a bite of death. There was one sailor who, as they were throwing them overboard, the male Pekingese bit him, and the man died of a very long and lingering and painful death. So the male Pekingese, the spirit of the male Pekingese, is said to still be there, and anyone who he bites will die. I thought, well, I kind of deserve it after that treatment. I don't know. So... Anyway, just a few little things to kind of whet your appetite. We'll take a look at some felines in our next episode, and then I do want to get into some shadow animals. I have gotten some new stories and a few new references, and uh, might be for a nice episode. And then we'll just kind of see where 2014 takes us. I want to welcome you to the new year, and I hope that you and yours are having a wonderful time. Hopefully in the near future, these recordings will get to be of premier sound recording. I do apologize. I know there's a bit of an echoey sound. The unfortunate thing is that I have severe allergies and cannot have fabric, carpet, upholstery, etc., etc., curtains. So everything that absorbs sound, I can't have it in the house. So uh, you get to hear the lovely uh, background noises that come with my own home and experience. But hey, it makes us a little more personable, right? Anyway, enjoy. And remember that January is always one of those magical months that starts off the new year. Usually I feel either all the bad luck happens first and then the rest of the year is good or all the good luck will set the tone for the rest of the year uh, and the rest of the year will be good. And I certainly hope that yours is. Take care and see you on the next episode of Paranormal Pets. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.